This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows that the days are All right, I'm out of the broom closet and into the big boys' studio. I'm not used to uh, working in such a cavernous location, and that's because, my gosh, I have so much company, and I didn't have time to straighten up or clean up or dust or anything. Uh, normally, I'm uh, in a different studio doing the show, as I say. A little tiny studio, but it's cozy, and I feel safe in there. But now I'm in this huge, capacious auditorium, practically, with bright lights, and uh, uh, that's because, as I say, I've got a lot of uh, in-studio guests, which is very unusual, but it's nice to have company and actually be able to see people in person rather than talking over the phone. All right, how are you? Did you... uh, Tick off the uh, the rest of the boxes on your shopping list. I hope so. I hope that's going in a very stress-free way for you. This nonsense about getting you know nervous and worked up and stressed out about Christmas is is actually kind of silly when you sit back and think of it, isn't it? All right, we have a big show for you tonight. We are going to discuss the whole WikiLeaks uh, uh, episode in just a few moments' time. Nelson Thal. Our resident media scientist will be here to tell us what's really going on. Is the WikiLeaks website, in fact, a creation of the CIA? And if so, what is this plot all about? And who is this Julian Assange? Is he this anti-establishment crusader that he's made himself out to be, that others have made him out to be? Perhaps, but perhaps not. Maybe there's something more sinister afoot. We'll discuss that in a few moments. A little later on in the show, hour two of the program, there's a, uh, it seems to me, and I think many of you will agree, there is a war being waged against Christmas and uh, Christianity in general. 
it seems to be open season. There's this big tunnel, uh, this big uh, billboard outside Lincoln Tunnel, which must be seen by hundreds of thousands of people every day going uh, to and fro the Big Apple. And it's, uh, there's a silhouette of the nativity scene there with the three wise men. And uh, the caption above the, uh, the nativity scene is, you know it's a myth. Tis the season for reason. In other words, humanists and atheists, uh, it's time to uh, eradicate this, this silly legend and myth and expunge it from society. So we'll talk about that uh, with a, a humanist and uh, atheist of some note. And also we're trying to reach a, a fairly outspoken a religious figure down in the United States by the name of Council Ned. So that's coming up in hour two. First of all, however, uh, I've been keeping you on pins and needles for so many months, and it's uh, a great uh, privilege and uh, thrill, really, for me to finally, finally be able to tell you what's going on with this uh, television show that I've been hinting at uh, for some time. And here we are. All set to make the big formal announcement about the conspiracy show, which is coming to television, Canadian television. And here to tell us about that is the producer of the program, the conspiracy show. His uh, name is Ron Craig, and uh, Ron, welcome. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for inviting me to make this major announcement. All right, and also the uh, exec producer and director of The Conspiracy Show, Jalal Murray. Hey, Jalal, welcome. Thank you. All right, Ron, I'm going to uh, throw it over to you. So, The Conspiracy Television Show, coming to television here in Canada. Tell folks where they can see it and when exactly. The show is coming to Vision Television on Friday, February 18th at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be on that time slot through to April 1st, 2011. There you go. February the 18th. 11 p.m. Eastern. It's a it's a half hour show, and uh, each and every Friday night, right through until April the first, Feb 18th, 2011 to April 1st. Whew, I tell you, that was the longest gestation period <laughs> ever. Although uh, we've been working very hard on it for for many many months, and uh, we're thrilled to have it on on Vision TV, keeping it in the Zoomer Media family, because of course. AM 740 is, uh, is the radio version, and this will be a multimedia uh, presentation. We have the conspiracy uh, show here on the radio, and we'll have the television show, which will be uh, similar in the content, but very different in the format. Jalal Murray, tell us uh, what the show is going to be like. Uh, it will be a half-hour show, and the format uh, mainly will, will be meeting two to three uh, conspiracy theorists, and then we'll have also a skeptic, and we'll have yourself in there to, uh, you know, be the judge. Uh, and uh, it has to be also in a humanistic manner, and also we will be allowing every group and every person to put down his points, and uh, nothing will be uh, taboo, actually. Yeah, we're, we're very, very uh, lucky to have <clears throat> found uh, a partner in Vision that uh, that shared our vision, really, of the show, aren't we, Ron? Absolutely. Vision has been just great to work with. Uh, the first thing is there were no restrictions on the material we can cover, which was great. We were looking for that. They have a very professional staff that's been very helpful as we put this show together. So we're delighted that we're on Vision. We think that it's the home that it deserves to be at, and we're just thrilled. 
And July, one of the the um, the thrills for me is uh, to get out of the studio because I'm a I'm a creature of radio. I'm always hiding behind a microphone, and although the show will take part in uh, in the radio studio, the show will begin in the radio studio, and uh, we'll come back to the radio studio from time to time. But the great thrill for me is getting out on the road and visiting these people. I mean, that's the first thing when I joined the team and we went further. Uh, we traveled, what, across California. We went to uh, Seattle, Washington. We w- went to Oregon. We went to New York. We went to New Jersey. And uh, the idea is to also open up and have some production value in there, not to just talk to people on the phone. Uh, it's a TV. It's not just radio. So with TV, you need some visuals too. Yes, and... Uh the other thing is is meeting some uh, some of the top uh, people in the, the the conspiracy field, if you will. Uh, Ron, can you tell us some of the people that are going to be on the program? Absolutely, you're going to have on the program Jim Mars, G. Edward Griffin, Richard Gage, uh, Rosemary Ellen Gilly, the time travel whistleblower Andrew Bushego, and from the Philadelphia Experiment, we're going to have Duncan Cameron. All excellent, high quality guests that are really going to give us an insight into their area of expertise. And, the, and that's just a sampling. Uh, we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll be traveling uh, to the UK at some point and uh, we'll be interviewing some of the principals who were involved in the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, which is uh, sort of Britain's Roswell. Uh, so we have that to look forward to. As well. Definitely. We will be on location and we'll do that right after uh, the new year and uh, we'll have the first season, 13 episodes, so 13 consecutive weeks. And each episode will be uh, highlighting one subject and give it full attention and we'll come up with a result. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it's interesting. This, this format, radio, is uh, two hours. Uh, and so, you know, you, you, you drill down into a topic, and uh, but it's just it's just voices. With a half hour, it presents certain challenges, but those challenges, uh, you know, telling a story, and you know better than anybody as a, as a feature film director, uh, you're telling a story in that condensed amount of time, but so everything that you cram in there, it's just, it's gonna be jam-packed with information. It's, not, it's you, you know, you don't have the luxury of trying to fill the airtime. The challenge is, is to get as much information into that half hour. And so I, I just find when I'm looking at the episodes now, and it's just explosive, the amount of information that comes out. Uh, we're trying to keep it also dramatic, not just informational, and it is. Every subject matter, because the people that are presenting the subject matters are very interested in uh, what they're doing. They're very... Uh, they live it, they breathe it, so to them it's very emotional, and we have to capture that. So you build up the drama within that half an hour, uh, and also you have to have the visuals, not just talking heads. Exactly, yes. Uh, so I, I'm, uh, I'm very proud of, uh, of the program. I'm, I'm thrilled uh, uh, to be working with you, Ron, and Jalal, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been a, a real labor of love and labor can sometimes be, uh, you know, painful, uh, but it's also a joyous occasion when you give birth to this thing. And, and uh, so February the 18th, Friday nights, starting Feb 18th, 2011, on Vision TV. Now, it's, uh, it's across the country. So depending on where you are, your cable provider, I believe here in the greater Toronto area, it's Channel 60. Uh, but you'll have to check local listings or to, to find out where Vision is on your TV. But your listeners will also be able to see material that does not make it to the television show. Uh, 
one of the very strong components we have for this is the website. So people will be able to go and they'll be able to see portions of the interviews that did not appear on the Vision Television program. They'll also be able to see additional material, uh, perhaps off of Skype, if Richard's speaking to a guest who is in Europe. Uh, that information will be available on the website. So again, what we wanted to do is to create the ultimate portal here for everything conspiracy, which is the radio show, the television show, and the internet site, so that people can go to www.theconspiracyshow.com and they'll be able to see new material and they'll be able to see the guests in uh, essentially a very candid way. We're not going to edit this material. We're going to allow people to see exactly what was said with Richard at the moment that you were doing the interview. And the uh, the website is uh, www.theconspiracyshow.com. And, um, you know, in, in, a, in a short while, you'll start to see uh, some interesting things on that site and available to you. Uh, but as I say, that will go sort of hand-in-hand hand with the radio show and the television show. That'll be a portal to uh, all things conspiracy, but it'll also be your, uh, your portal to uh, the Conspiracy Show a television program and uh, this radio program. And as Ron uh, points out, there'll be some unique uh, uh, information, uh, video, audio uh, information on the website that you won't be able to find anywhere else. Ron Craig, uh, anything else you want to add about the show? Well, it has been a long time from the development. I want to give the uh, listeners just a bit of insight as to how the show came about. I appeared on Richard's show. I'm a, a explosion and fire investigator, and I was on Richard's show when I debated Richard Gage, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. And it was at the end of that interview that I had the idea for a television show. So I approached Richard about the idea and indicated that I wanted to roll it into the radio show and into the website. And uh, as Richard said, it's a long, long road when you're trying to develop something from scratch. It requires a lot of hard work. Uh, he stuck with us. He was very instrumental in giving us the material we needed to put together a, a great series Bible that lists the episodes, what we want to talk about. And with Jalal coming aboard, lending his expertise in both television as well as movies, it was really a good team, and we're very glad that it's come to fruition and we're going to have this on the air. And uh, Jalal Murray, uh, it, it's so exciting to have uh, you on, on this uh, uh, team as well because you are a very established uh, feature filmmaker. You've got uh, some, some major television credits. Uh, you've been a, a star uh, in front of the camera, and, uh, and now you're going to make me a star, I hope. That's, this is what's important. <laughs> this is what's important. The thing is, when Ron met with me right after the interview on your show, Richard, uh, he said, I got this idea, and this guy's great. And I said, like, Usually, people are great for radio. I'm not sure how good they will be for TV. I mean, that's really a famous saying, you know. Uh, uh, but uh, the moment I videotaped you and the moment we filmed you, uh, I realized the camera actually loved you. And it's very important to have the personality. Uh, you come across great on camera. So I think it's working out very well. And I think you were made for TV, actually. Do you hear that, Mighty Aphrodite? Do you hear that? She always tells me I have a face for radio. And that's my wife, my harshest critic, but my biggest fan. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Ron Craig, uh, Jalal Murray, uh, thanks for coming in to help me make this um, uh, momentous uh, uh, announcement. It's certainly a, uh, one of the great moments in, in my life, my professional career. Uh, and thank you for making that happen. You're quite and, welcome. Uh, Pleasure. We're proud to have you. And uh, it's... Um, it's off to the races we go. So hold on to your hats. February 18th, uh, The Conspiracy Show, Reality Redefined, coming at you, Vision TV.
on the New World Order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Thank you, Dan, for rolling those phone numbers out there to the, uh, the good folks listening tonight because I would be very interested, actually, to hear what you have to say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, about this whole WikiLeaks episode, uh, this uh, website, uh, which has really caught the uh, the public's either their fascination, their uh, devotion, or uh, their ire, I guess, raised their ire, uh, over ostensibly leaking uh, classified uh, government documents and, uh, and, and uh, cables and so forth. Although there's some dispute as to the actual sensitivity of the the cables that were uh, dumped uh, most recently, for which Julian Assange um, spent some time languishing in prison or certainly was spending some time on the lam from Interpol, no less. Uh, The question is, what is WikiLeaks? Who's behind WikiLeaks? And is this Julian Assange, who is this mystery man? Is he, in fact the anti-establishment crusader that he's been made out to be. I've had some serious doubts about that. One of the things I found interesting was the fact that the, uh, the initial publications, the print publications that he went to with this information, these were not uh, exactly anti-establishment publications. We're talking about the New York Times and the Guardian newspaper. In order for him to hand off that kind of information, if it was that sensitive, you'd think he'd have to have some pretty good connections inside those, uh, those publications. So that was the first red flag for me. Uh, but here to discuss further the whole WikiLeaks episode and the identity of Julian Assange is our good friend Nelson Thal, media scientist and a host, co-host, I should say, of Shock Talk with Bloom and Steel. And Nelson, good to see you again, my friend. How are you? <clears throat> it's great being here, Richard. Thank you very much. So first of all, let's, uh, let's go back a little bit and, and talk about... Uh, when did you first uh, become aware of, of WikiLeaks, this, this uh, alternative uh, news media sensation? When did it first catch your attention? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I to tell you the truth, it sort of just grew on me. Uh, and I don't really know what year it was... It was a number of years ago, uh, but I think that um, uh, the you know the deliberate intent to deceive people today is at an all-time high, and we know that. Um, for the initiated, Richard, I think that those who have followed this and once they start to hear uh, the stories about Assange and uh, the fact that uh, when you look behind him, you see George Soros. Uh, as a fi- financier and the other financiers, you start to realize that there's a lot going on behind the scenes here than what we're being told by the mass media, which is always the case. So you're, <clears throat> excuse me, you're convinced, or are you, uh, that that uh, the uh, that WikiLeaks is a creation of some intelligence organization? It's a front. Oh, uh, when you t- absolutely, it's uh, all uh, all the people around Assange uh, are involved in the intelligence agencies, and I don't think there's any doubt that uh, he 
it's a CIA operation, and the purpose is uh, they want to launch a campaign against WikiLeaks in the U.S. using the 1917 Espionage Act, and uh, as a way as a way of controlling the internet. This is what's behind all this. It's the next step of controlling the internet because the internet is just putting out information, and it's getting too dangerous. So, in other words. The CIA or some intelligence organization, national security, what have you, they uh, create this WikiLeaks, they, uh, they groom or create the founder, and the mission is to occasionally to put some things out there that are seemingly damaging to national security, uh, although that could be argued. And uh, that starts to galvanize public opinion in terms of, you know what? I mean, we're starting to hear uh, uh, political commentators uh, who are advocating that this guy should have been assassinated. Imagine, imagine uh, advocating that the, the uh, citizens of an, uh, a citizen of another country, uh, without due process, uh, should uh, should you know meet his undoing, uh, you know, in the crosshairs of a uh, some hit squad. Uh, to me, <laughs> that's uh, that's just. That's not something that you would have heard uh, from uh, from Americans uh, 20 years ago. Or I, I mean, I've heard even some Canadian broadcasters suggest that. Uh, uh, someone uh, should be assassinated without due process? I mean, we're not talking about, you know, some member of al-Qaeda here. Yeah, well, Assange is, is a victim here, Richard. Uh, he, he's in ter- intelligence terms. He's a turned hacker. Uh, the Australian authorities... Um, uh, he got a wrist slap from Australian authorities after hacking national security databases uh, maintained by elements of the Western intelligence, suggesting the distinct possibility that Assange was turned and is working for one or more intelligence services. So he got a wrist slap from a judge rather than a heavy a heavy jail turn when he and. If you also look back at him, you'll see he comes out of a of a of a um, a cult, a very heavy mind control cult called the Family, which made headlines around the world in 1987. And this is a he is a victim of a mind control, and they partition the mind of these kids um, using psychiatric drugs. And um, it, what's interesting is that the woman Anne Hamilton Byrne, who was who's, was sent to jail for for what she did to these kids, it's all detailed in a book by Sarah Monroe. Sarah Monroe, and um, um, ha- Hamilton Byrne, who was in charge of this cult, ordered the children's hair to be dyed peroxide blonde, and they dressed in identical outfits. Uh, take a look at uh, Julian's hair. Um, he's uh, part of this mind control operation and probably doesn't even realize how he's being used or how he's being manipulated because the mind control is so heavy and we've seen this before many times. Well, uh, interesting you should note that we'll be talking about uh, MK Ultra and uh, the Phoenix Project in just a few weeks. In fact, our first show in the new year, you'll uh, be here to discuss... A Tiger Woods as a potential Manchurian candidate. Right now, though, we're talking about WikiLeaks and uh, its founder, Julian Assange. Nelson's contention, not only his, but others, uh, that WikiLeaks is in fact a CIA plot to provide a pretext to clamp down on the internet. Now I'd like to know what you hear. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This whole WikiLeaks uh, thing is, is unfolding like a Hollywood script. It's almost, as they say, too good to be true. The original source of, um, I think there were about 250,000 uh, pages of uh, classified U.S. Uh, State Department uh, cables. Um, many of them were sent between U.S. embassies around the world. And uh, the, the original source was this 22-year-old uh, U.S. Army soldier. He was on duty in Baghdad, Bradley Manning. Low-grade U.S. Army intelligence. And uh, he's some sort of a, a computer geek, I guess. And he's sifting through classified information at uh, forward operating base Hammer. And then he decides to secretly download U.S. State Department email communications uh, onto these blank CDs. And uh, then he turns them over to Julian Assange. And uh, Assange then decides uh, to selectively choose several of the world's most ultra-establishment news media to uh, exclusively handle the leaking job from. And uh, now, of course, at this point, he's on the run from Interpol, not for leaking the classified uh, information, but for allegedly having consensual sex with two Swedish women who uh, later decided... It was rape. But here's the thing. The, the newspapers uh, that he decided to leak to were the New York Times. And uh, as uh, one um, individual wrote on the web, uh, William Engdahl talks about the New York Times suggesting, you know, here, a perfect choice uh, for, for, for the New York Times to be chosen because they did such a terrific job promoting the faked propaganda against Saddam that led to the Iraqi war. And then he leaked it to the London Guardian and Der Spiegel. And uh, Assange claims he had no time to sift through so many pages, so, uh, so he handed them to these trusted editors of the establishment media for them to decide what should be released. So Nelson Thal uh, with us, media scientist. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about Julian Assange. You mentioned that he was part of this. This came out in, in the 80s. He was part of this uh, cult. He was a, a brainwashing victim. Yeah. And uh, who else was uh, in, well, involved in that cult? Well, what's interesting, it's called The Family. And um, uh, Stieg Larsson is a Swede who wrote a number of novels. Uh, a Nazi hunter in, in Sweden, yeah. Right. Girl played fire, etc. And the novels basically um, uh, are a fictionalized version of reality. Uh, so anybody who's are familiar with his work, of course, it's it's alleged that he was murdered. But um, first of all, Pirate Bay, the group that hosts the site, is controlled by investor Carl Lundstrom, who's a prominent Swedish fascist, uh, neo-Nazi. But um, out of the family, uh, the family cared for Lord Casey. And he became the Australian governmental minister in charge of overseeing the Australian intelligence services. So this is a he was ver- also an MK Ultra victim. Yeah, and not only a victim, uh, he's an he's a victim that never came out of the system. Right, he's still in the system. Well, who so started he, it, this family? This, is this a powerful. The start, it was started by Anne Hamilton Byrne, is her name. And it became public in 1987. And what she did was she took a lot of young children and dyed their hair blonde, right. platinum, just like Julian's. And 
brainwash them with heavy barbiturates and drugs and LSD and convince them all that she was their mother. And 14 or 15 of these children were taken and, of course, they were homeschooled and were under her command and under her control. And it was a complete CIA operation. It's a complete part of MK Ultra CIA mind control operation. Well, when I think you know, uh, dyeing their hair blonde, and uh, uh, you know, it sounds a little bit like a, a scene from the boys from Brazil. And when we think of the 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 origin of the MK Ultra program, of course, we go back to the Nazi scientists, uh, uh, Mengele, and all these guys. Is there a Nazi connection to the family? Oh, absolutely. Uh, this is a there's, there's a non-Nazi connect. Um, this is. First of all, remember, um, George Soros made his fame by tracking down uh, Jewish property for the Nazis, for Borman. In the words of Dave Emery, he's called a, quote, Borman Jew, unquote. He says that the happiest days of his lives, of his life, was when he was doing that. Now, he is one of the major players behind this. And so this is another CIA you know, Reinhard Galen operation and uh, all involved with experimentation and trying to see what they can do with with uh, with all sorts of manipulating people, MK Ultra, mind control, creating uh, Jason Bournes and assassins, etc. And as when when it came out, the the book by uh, this Sarah Moore, who wrote about it, uh she said that the reason why they dyed their hair blonde was so that when they send the kids in, if the kids were killed or caught, they could easily just switch their identity with another passport picture because one young kid with blonde hair doesn't look much different from right, another right. with a passport picture. Okay. So let's get back to the uh, uh, to the WikiLeaks. Yeah. Let's get back. The, the documents uh, yeah. that, that were, uh, you know, some, uh, I think it was an Italian foreign, foreign minister called these... Uh, these leaks, the September 11th of world diplomacy. Yeah. Now, the actual documents that were leaked. I mean, there was the there was the the, the footage. The uh, it was, I think it was an aerial footage of uh, some uh, U.S. soldiers uh, firing on some. Was it? They were Reuter reporters. Uh, but I mean, uh, pretty damning. But I mean, I think we have a right to know about that for one thing. But for, uh, as for the other stuff, calling it a September 11th of world diplomacy. Uh, 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 broadcasters and, and, and media people calling for the assassination of, of Julian Assange. In your estimation, were these documents that damning? Was, it, was this that damaging to, to, to national security? No, no, of course not. As a matter of fact, the court, uh, let's remember this, Richard. We know from the way in which the media works, remember Operation Mockingbird, was a CIA operation established in the 1950s, and its objective was to exert influence both on the U.S. foreign media and the local media. Members of the U.S. media were routinely enlisted into the CIA. This is an extension of Operation Mockingbird. Uh, New York Times, all these major uh, pub, uh, organs of, of, the, of the CFR would never have published very truly real state secrets. These are low-level uh, leaks, and uh, the corporate media's use uh, of of these cables has been, when you look at them, they uphold two related myths. First, 
Iran has nuclear weapons program and constitutes a threat to global security. That's the first myth that uh, the New York Times have used these redacted the redacted uh, cables. The second is Saudi Arabia and Pakistan are state sponsors of Al Qaeda, and they and which is another myth, financing Islamic terrorist organizations, which are intent upon attacking the United States and its NATO allies. That is the purpose. That's the next step. They've been trying to. We know that they're. We've been talking for years about the next move after Iraq would be Iran. Why? Oil. Obviously. Right. So in other words, far from being a, a, a damning to U.S. national security, it actually uh, they actually serve to to justify, for example, U.S. sanctions against Iran or any sort of military adventures. The, ge- the U.S. geopolitical uh, agenda is being propped up by these leaks, none of which are top secret, though. None of them are actually listed as top secret. Uh, for example, um, my understanding is between two and three million U.S. government employees are cleared to see this level of secret document. Two to three million people. Richard, to put it another way, if the weapons of mass destruction lie, that strategy of using the weapons of mass destruction and claiming that in Iran, if they could sell that again to the American people, they wouldn't need this whole WikiLeaks operation. The WikiLeaks operation is a weapons of mass destruction strategy number two. They can't sell the weapons of mass destruction to the American people in Iran again. They can't that in that they can't sell. So they needed another strategy for trumping up a reason to go to war with Iran, and to uh, of course to bring down and censor the internet. All right. We'll uh, take a call here and welcome Tara to the program. Good evening, Tara. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Serrett, and um, I applaud your very intelligent guest. And I did email you with this. Um, I'm looking at an alternative news site um, called Rumor Mill News, and the posting is, is that Obama has a Christmas surprise and that he will use an executive order to take over the Internet. And um, I do somehow believe this because um, there's just too much truth over our Internet now, and it simply doesn't um, um, gel with all the control mechanisms that are currently happening with the surveillance and control of the economy and the the whole bank bailout fiascos. So um, I'm just saying that um, I, I, I am in complete agreement um, with your intelligent guests, and I salute him for his courage for coming on air. And um, I just hope that Congress has the sense to try and block an executive order, because I do believe the United States has a uh, freedom of speech um, clause in the Constitution. Uh, yeah, I think it's the First Amendment, if memory serves, and uh, th- this would sort of skirt around that. They would treat the uh, the Internet. This would be uh, the FCC, uh, which yes. would which would be called upon to regulate uh, much the same the, as they do, uh, uh, you know, television, radio, uh, other forms of electronic communication. Others are saying, well, of course, the Internet is primarily a essentially a print medium, and, and, and it should be uh, protected by the First Amendment. So, well, we'll have to watch that one with interest, uh, Tara, and thank you for bringing it to our attention. And th- All right, well, uh, the, uh, 
sorry, we'll uh, we'll take a quick time out, Nelson. We'll come back and we'll yeah. uh, we'll discuss uh, a little bit more about uh, Julian Assange and and whether or not these documents were really that damning. Perhaps uh, they are, in fact, intended to provide a pretext for clamping down on the internet and also uh, to uh, to justify or to vindicate uh, the U.S. or Anglo-American, if you will geopolitical uh, strategies. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. AM 740. Uh, further to uh, Tara's uh, phone call, uh, talking about uh, a, a story that ran on rumormills.com and a, uh, an executive order that will allegedly be issued by President Barack Obama before Christmas, giving the FCC the, uh, the power to regulate uh, the Internet. Uh, back in 2009... Democratic Senator Jay Rockefeller and Republican Olympia Snow introduced something called the Cyber Security Act, S.773, which would give the president unlimited power to disconnect private sector computers from the Internet. The bill would allow the president to declare a cybersecurity emergency relating to non-governmental computer networks and do what's necessary to respond to the threat. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security... Uh, apparently are quietly seizing and shutting down Internet websites without due process or proper trial. They simply seize web domains that they want, and uh, they post an anonymous Department of Justice logo on the website. And apparently you can see a web, uh, an example of this at torrent-finder.com. I'm just going to plug that into my search engine right now and see what we find, torrentfinder.com. And if anyone out there has come across another website that now has the Department of Justice logo where the, the, the homepage used to be. I'd love to hear from you. Let me just see where we come, where we get to with uh, torrentfinder.com. Yes, indeed. This domain name has been seized by ICE, Homeland Security Investigations, pursuant to a seizure warrant issued by United States District Court under the authority of 18 U.S.C. 981 and 2323. There you have it. A Department of Justice and the National Intelligence Property Rights Coordination Center, and the Homeland Security Investigation badges all over. I don't know what Torrent Finder used to be, but it has been seized by Homeland Security. All right. So, Nelson, I, uh, I am fascinated by, uh, again, the, uh, the Nazi connection. Uh, we have, again, to, re, uh, to, to, to summarize, uh, Julian Assange, WikiLeaks founder, uh, back in the 80s, was in fact a victim uh, of a, a cult in Australia called the Family with Nazi connections. Uh, he was uh, subjected to uh, uh, to mass trauma, uh, drug uh, drug uh, overdose or drug uh, drug use or barbiturates, uh, and uh, 
not only he, but there was another prominent member of that family who later went on to be, was it the Attorney General of Australia? No, no. Uh, his name was Lord Casey. He came, he became, he's the former Governor General of Australia ah. and the Minister in Charge of Overseeing the Australian Intelligence Services. Interesting. So the people behind this cult had top, top power in, the, in, in Australia. They were involved with the... <laughs> Her Majesty the Queen, Richard. Right. And so once Assange... And and let me just say this. um, In the book, the book is called Unseen, Unheard, Unknown by Sarah Moore. She was one of the children who then, when she got older, wrote the book. Uh, It turns out that she made the claim that the old IG Farben complex provided the LSD uh, for for Anne Hamilton. Hamilton. And no, Anne, ha- yeah, Anne Hamilton Byrne, her name is. So, you know, once again, there we go, I.G. Farben. Uh, you, you know, the famous I.G. Farben salesman, sure. Carol yes. Wotila, who sale- sold the Zyklon B gas to the Nazis for the uh, concentration camps. That has been alleged. That has been alleged, oh, that's, Nelson. That's more than alleged. <laughs> well, I'm saying that it has been an alleged. It's an allegation. Uh, so, yeah. Wow, this is, uh, this is like a, a spy thriller. Now, Julian Assange's arrest then uh, for what was uh, what's interesting that they were they were two Swedish women. Yes. We go back to Sweden. Sweden. Well, which you know, uh, as you have pointed out uh, in the past, is uh, Sweden is. The I mean, we have this perception of Sweden as being this left lib socialist paradise. Uh, yet, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's the only country in the world that will not uh, that will extradite protect, Nazi. Yeah, uh, Nazi protects war the criminals. Nazis. Yeah. So there is this underground uh, 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 Nazi um, element or, in, in society over there. Is that what you're saying? Well, not over there. I mean, we know that uh, Fritz Kramer took over the Pentagon. Galen created the CIA. Von Braun took over NASA. Dr. Mengele went to China Lake, California. And um, Swiss Nazi financier Carl Lundstrom, uh, who's uh, known in Sweden as a financier of a number of right-wing parties, it's his... A pirate party company called the Pirate Party that um, provides the hosting for WikiLeaks. Wow! So the WikiLeaks site right. is hosted by a company. Yes, that's controlled and owned by a known Swiss Nazi fin- Nazi. Now, is that an allegation or has no, that been that, proven? No, that's proven. That's known. That's proven. It's not even proven. It's known and it's admitted. He admits it. Lundstrom admits it. He, he's, he's known. He's a known public figure in Sweden. So then, uh, I mean, does does Assange even then have a, a, a clue what's happening to him at this point? What's your what's your gut feeling on that? If he's an MK Ultra uh, survivor, I guess is he still under that program, under that control? Uh, does he have handlers that are controlling him with with uh, trigger uh, phrases and so forth? Yeah, he he certainly has a a mind that has been very very. Um, uh, artificially split and partitioned for excellence. He's definitely a Manchurian candidate and a Mengele type guy who reacts to various code words. And um, his conscience is just the conscience of these kids. It, we just don't understand how they've been able to fine tune, just like you can partition your computer so that one part of the computer runs on Apple system and another runs on DOS. They've been able to partition these kids' consciences using these drugs and using these brainwashing techniques, which they've fine-tuned over decades, so that th- – w- 
they're two different they're multiple personalities right, right. so he may not know once he may not realize who he is and how he's being used my question i guess then is uh, now that he's served his purpose uh and uh they're going to fold up the shop i guess uh, well I, wikileaks continues i mean to operate right at the moment uh but 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 uh, why is assange being allowed to live then i mean why didn't some hit team take him out or would that have been too obvious well, I, I think he still has it serves a, a function for for his handlers, and uh, he still has a, has a role to play, and um, they want very much to be able to uh, keep keep him uh, appearing in the public's eye as being somebody who is a bad guy who's been releasing the terrible state secrets, and now that the state secrets are out, they show that Iran's the bad co- country, and we'll go after Iran. I mean, they've got to be able to keep him there in the public eye to keep this alive still. Maybe after they invade Iran, you'll find out he committed suicide. Interesting. Well, we certainly hope not. No. All right. Nelson Thal, media scientist, co-host of Shock Talk with Bloom and Steel, former archivist for the late, great Marshall McLuhan, talking about WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Coming up a little bit later on the program, the war against Christianity and Christmas. We'll get to the bottom of that. Stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Dr. Christopher DiCarlo, humanist, uh, atheist, atheist, philosopher, lecturer, will uh, join the program. And we'll have a, a civil, friendly, respectful uh, discussion on uh, what I perceive as a, a war against uh, Christianity and uh, perhaps Christmas. All right, Nelson Thal stays with us for a few moments yet, media scientist, co-host of Shock Talk with Bloom and Steel, talking about WikiLeaks and uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Is WikiLeaks a front or a, essentially a CIA plot to, to uh, provide a pretext to clamp down on the Internet? And uh, I, I certainly think that there's a very strong case uh, for that, uh, given the the not-so-sensitive nature of the, the documents that were released, 250,000 documents. None of them, again, it, it's important to, to, uh, to uh, stress, were top secret. None of them. The, the level, uh, the, the classification level for, for most of the vast majority of these documents was below top secret, and it's something that two to three million American government workers had access to. Hardly the 9-11 of world diplomacy that the, foreign, uh, the Italian uh, foreign minister uh, mentioned. All right, Nelson, you wanted to talk about uh, one of the co-founders of WikiLeaks who, uh, who left the organization and is now sort of a critic. Is it John Young? Yeah, John Young. Uh, just parenthetically before I do, Richard, I just want to say in a BBC News story, June 30th, 2009, quote, Pirate Bay site sold to game firm. The BBC mentioned specifically that Carl Lundstrom was uh, part of a neo-Nazi group. And he's the he runs the company that runs the, the Pirate the, Party. The, that hosts WikiLeaks, right, and uh, and sold his uh, his uh, sold Pirate Bay. He sold it in two thousand and nine and took back only forty percent. So he sold sixty percent of his company. Now he's the silent partner to a Borman Capital Network. Borman Capital Network. Network. Yeah, and that's that's reported in the in the BBC. Oh my lord! So okay, okay. Now we'll go to John. 
you know, this is the thing about coming back to censoring. Um, uh, Obama can try all he likes to censor the Internet. It's like putting the genie back in the bottle. It can't be done. He'll try. And the harder he tries, as Marshall McLuhan said, the electric environment is like mercury. The more you try and control it, the more it gets away. So for those who are worried about freedom and freedom of speech, don't be worried about what Obama's trying to do because the more he tries to exert force and tries to control it and put it back in the bottle, the more it'll get out. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. All right, John and Young, John Young was one of WikiLeaks founders, and he's turned critic. And here's what he said. He has deep suspicions concerning the group, he says. He says, quote, they're acting like a cult. They're acting like a religion. They're acting like a government. They're acting like a bunch of spies. They're hiding their identity. They don't account for the money. They promise all sorts of things. They seldom let you know what they're really up to, unquote. So he was a founder. His name is on the actual um, WikiLeaks the equivalent uh, of their masthead, I guess. Yeah. Not only their masthead, what, the WikiLeaks.com site. Right. He was the, his name's on it, with with uh, Assange. Right, so he right. was one of the first guys in. So he harbors deep suspicions concerning. He also says there was suspicion from day one that this was entrapment run by someone unknown to suck a number of people into a trap. Operation Mockingbird, CIA. So we actually don't know, but it's certainly a standard counterintelligence technique, and they're usually pretty elaborate and pretty carefully run. They'll even prosecute people as part of the cover story, which is what they're doing now. Um, uh, That that actually... uh, uh, Part of the cover story... uh, Cover story that actually was talked about at... Uh, Sunday's panel, they'll try to conceal who was informing and betraying others by pretending by p- pretending to prosecute them. So th- you mean they may only pretend to, to, to prosecute Assange, let him go if he's still of some use to them. Is that the idea? Yeah, exactly. I mean... Or, God forfend, he'll meet some... Uh, he'll, he'll meet uh, some... Uh, misfortune, some accident, if I guess his handlers have decided that he's no longer of use to them. So do you, what do you think in the next, uh, what's your, uh, your, uh, your, uh, your prediction? The next six months, will WikiLeaks be around? Yeah, I think WikiLeaks will be around. I think that uh, he'll be around. Uh, they'll, they may, uh, they may uh, put him in, in uh, incarcerate him, but I don't think he's. I don't think it's too. Uh, he's too hot to to knock off right now and to and to whack. I think he's he's uh, useful, still useful to the intelligence agencies. Yes, because in, in the and meantime, they've got, they've got to keep him incarcerated because if he gets out and somebody gets to him and learns how to deprogram him, then that's dangerous. So they want to keep him in jail. Ah. Interesting. They got to keep control of him, otherwise he'll become like an Arizona Wilder, who was deprogrammed. He was, she was a a, a high priestess of uh, of Mengele, who tried to tried to flip her before his death to Jacob Rothschild and was unable to, and she broke out of her programming and control and got away, and they got a lot of information about uh, what was going on backstage with. Uh, so, so Assange, um, yeah, the best place for him then for his own personal safety may in fact be in in prison, yeah. and in the meantime. Uh, the uh, the uh, the intelligence organizations, uh, Homeland Security, will uh, will use this as a pretext to to tighten the screws on the internet, but they'll allow WikiLeaks to serve its other 
uh, a purpose or mission, which is to prop up uh, Anglo-American uh, uh, geopolitical uh, maneuvers around the world by uh, by very strategically leaking certain documents which would support, you know, an incursion into Pakistan or a sanction against Iran, etc. Yeah. Very clever. you got to hand it to them. Very yeah. clever. Yeah, they're very clever. Uh, they... Um uh, they never used the same tactic. They realized that the weapons of mass destruction tactic had run its course, that there would be some other plan needed in order to convince Americans to go to war in Iran. And so I think this we'll have to watch for the step up in the war in Iran, and we'll keep on top of it, as we always do. Nelson Thal, uh, where can uh, people listen to Shock Talk with Bloom and Steel? Yeah, bloomandsteel.com. Spell that. B-L-O-O-M-A-N-D-S-T-E-E-L-E.com. Bloomandsteel.com. Always a pleasure, my friend, and uh, we'll speak to you very early in the new year. In fact, the first show out of the new year, we'll talk about Tiger Woods as a Manchurian candidate. Can't wait for that one. Good stuff. Thanks, Rich. Coming up next, the war against Christians. When the Conspiracy Show continues, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. If you missed the opening of the show, we made a uh, formal announcement that uh, The Conspiracy Show is coming to television, debuting February the 18th, Friday nights at 11 p.m. on Vision TV. Very happy to finally be able to tell you, uh, the broadcaster, and uh, what a great partner Vision Television uh, will make. Uh, the Again, again, it's uh, February the 18th, Friday nights, and that's at 11 p.m. Eastern. All right, to the next hour. Are atheists intent on eradicating faith, ridding the world of God? Is there... I don't know, an atheist plot or conspiracy? And if so, why? I've made my uh, personal biases uh, known on this program. I happen to be a, an, an Orthodox uh, Christian. And uh, I don't talk about it, uh, I, I, I hope, in an overt way. That's, that's not the, the purpose of this program. But where appropriate, I've certainly uh, made my bias, if you will, uh, known. Uh, and it's certainly going to come to the fore, obviously, in this discussion. Uh, there's no avoiding it. But uh, um, I'm here with a, a prominent uh, atheist and a, a, a philosopher of science, uh, Dr. Christopher DiCarlo, to uh, discuss uh, the, uh, the humanist uh, movement, uh, atheism. And it's, it's an appropriate time, I think, as we head into uh, the Christmas season uh, 
Uh, first of all, uh, welcome to the program, uh, Dr. DiCarlo. Well, thank you very much. I mentioned in the, uh, the opening of the, uh, the show, Lincoln Tunnel, there's this uh, billboard uh, the uh, American atheists have taken out, and there's a, uh, a depiction of the nativity scene, sort of a silhouette of the, uh, the, the wise men following the star over right. the manger and so forth. And uh, it says, uh, you know it's a myth. And then underneath that uh, is the caption, I believe it says, uh, uh, "'Tis the season for reason." Mm-hmm. I, I look at that, and I've got broad shoulders. I think, you know, most, uh, most Christians do. At the same time, it's somewhat hurtful. Mm-hmm. I think it can be fairly assumed that a lot of people would look at that as sort of an attack, particularly at what is, for many, one of the most holy times of the year. How do you feel about that campaign? Do you think that that's a prudent campaign right. as, a, as an atheist? There's quite a spectrum of atheists and humanists out there. Some are pretty hard-hitting, you know, Richard Dawkins, that type, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris. And then you got the kind of the Paul Kurtzes and Chris Mooney's and uh, the others who are more accommodating. So if you're asking my, my personal opinion, I'm basically of the mind where you can believe in practically anything you want and have the freedom to believe in anything you want, uh, provided that your beliefs and your actions do not generate harm. So do I find the ad uh, uh, over the top or offensive? It depends on perspective. Personally, what do I believe? I believe that the uh, story of Christ is is probably something that was thought up after the fact. There were plenty of uh, concepts of a a child God being born who, you know, created various miracles and so on and so forth. Um, Osiris and others who apparently died and rose from the dead, walked on water, uh, born of a virgin birth, and so on and so forth. There were plenty of these uh, ideas happening around the Mediterranean uh, area at that time. So I, I'm not yet fully convinced that Christ actually uh, was a human figure. He might have simply been kind of an, an afterthought. We know the Gospels were written uh, several years after his apparent death and so on and so forth. So when they say, you know it's a myth, um, they're kind of begging the question a bit. They don't know it's, we don't, believers certainly don't know it's a myth, but those who are aware of the history behind what was happening uh, at that time certainly believe it to be a myth. So it could be factual, and uh, atheists would would tend to look at it as being a fact. But the timing of it, I mean, you don't see that to be uh, uh, somewhat, I won't use the word, Hate, uh, hateful. No, uh, but it's it's certainly an, uh, would be perceived as an attack. Uh, it it could be. I think the idea uh, with various types of atheists is if you don't get your ideas out there and present them in a particular type of way, they're not going to be taken seriously enough. So uh, most of the most of the atheists I know are peace loving, tax paying citizens who. Um, are, you know, very decent, you know, um, law-abiding citizens and so on and so forth. I think the purpose of those types of ads at that particular, this particular time of year is to make it kind of hard-hitting, let people know there's a, you know, a good percentage of the population out there who think it is a myth. And if you want to talk about it, you can reach us at, uh, you know, this website or this address. Some uh, Christians, uh, some 
fairly vocal uh, Christians mm -hmm. in the mainstream media, are very concerned that atheists want to kill God in the minds of children, mm. uh, and and that they are using uh, feature films and and popular websites to win the hearts and minds of young ch young children and to influence them them at that at that early stage. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have like specific examples or? I think one of the more popular ones is uh, is uh, the, the Golden Compass and, and the rest of that trilogy mm -hmm. uh, of Philip Pullman's uh, work. Right. Right. It does speak to the fact that uh, there was a, a historical time. I was uh, raised a Catholic, Roman Catholic. And I remember growing up, you know, I was baptized in, you know, First Communion, Confirmation, uh, altar boy for five years, that sort of thing. And in my mind, I just got up every day and just knew, you know, that there was this particular type of God and that there was a part of him that he made human. I don't know if you're a fan of the Trinity or not. But, uh, and, and I would start to ask questions, you know, to my mother and, and whatnot. And over time, I realized that the questions I, w I was asking weren't being answered in a, in a, in a satisfactory way. What I think Pullman and others are, are doing is they're giving people an alternative uh, way of, of looking at things so that it creates within their minds the ability to think rationally about, well, uh, could this have actually happened the way it's being uh, discussed today and has been throughout history? So I personally do not try to offend people when I have discussions about religion and whatnot, I, I'm respectful to the point where their beliefs are not generating harm. So to me, a lot of it really comes down to the no harm principle. One of the central focuses of most world religions, including Christianity, is the golden rule. Humanists and atheists abide by that same principle. There are a lot of overlapping moral values between your worldview and my worldview. And I would imagine that as long as we abide by those, we're going to get along just fine. Um, when an atheist or a humanist is most outspoken when they see harm being generated by a specific worldview. And I think you would admit, regardless of what that worldview is, whether it's religious, political, philosophical, moral, racial, if it is generating perceived harm, and we, we can define it as being harmful, then we would agree to say, wait a minute, we don't have to be that tolerant. So I perceive things as kind of a, a tolerance-harm uh, perspective. A, ph a, philosopher, uh, a philosopher and uh, prominent uh, atheist thinker, Dr. Christopher DiCarlo, is with us here on The uh, Conspiracy Show. Can you give me an example of uh, a, uh, a Christian teaching mm -hmm. which you think is harmful? There are a few. I'm not sure what your particular... Um, views are and what your interpretations of the Bible are. So I can't maybe speak for you, but I can certainly speak for others. So if people take the Bible to literally mean that, say, homosexuality is a life choice and that they're sinning by choosing that form of perversion, then I do see harm being generated in a family that calls itself Christian, and one of the children happened to be gay, because they're going to look at that child, and through their, the prism of their worldview, they're going to think, why did young 
John or James or whatever, why did he choose such a, a perverse lifestyle? He's going to be cast down into, into hell. He's not going to be forgiven. And in some people's minds, they've lost their son. They've lost him from their family because he has turned away from the family and, and from God, and he will not gain salvation. In my worldview, science basically looks at homosexuality in the same way it looks at heterosexuality, which is that it's not chosen. There is a genetic environmental predisposition to be homosexual. So I see a, 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 a major problem, and students will come to me after uh, specific lectures and say, how well does science know about predispositions of homosexuality? And I said, well, the evidence pretty pretty convincing. Why? Because my brother came out you know, last year, and my parents haven't spoken to him since. So that's one way. Um, Although, to, to be fair, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, we, we hear that example that comes up time and time again about uh, Christianity or the other, uh, some of the other major uh, religions, which also... Oh, yes. Uh, but but it, really, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about homosexuality. It, it's made out that it's right. this huge issue yes. within, within the Bible. But yeah, Christ it, never spoke about it a whole lot. Never. In fact, pedastry was still happening during his time, which was male, right. you know, and mentoring make, young boys. We have to make a, 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 a distinction between uh, between uh, sin and uh, you know in eternal damnation. I mm -hmm. mean, uh, we're all sinners uh, mm -hmm. according to uh, you know the Christian uh, Christian teachings. Mm -hmm. uh, salvation is available to, to homosexuals just as it is to to uh, to heterosexuals. So, would they have to stop being homosexual to get salvation? I think uh, I think they have to try. I guess I think we have mm. to try and stop. We have to do our best, you know. But go if, and go and sin no more. Okay, but uh, if it but, doesn't say much, like if Christ didn't say much about it, then how do you know? I don't, uh, oh, okay. for sure. And I would, and I, you know, it's not my place to judge, and I don't decide, uh, you know, who who gets in and who gets, in, you know, who's excluded uh, in, in terms of uh, in terms of paradise. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would agree that uh, that uh, there are those. Uh, uh, there are those in the Christian uh, church who have made a, a huge deal about it. And, yeah. uh, and there, there is, you know, there's some very hateful people out there. But we have to distinguish mm -hmm. between uh, uh, individuals who do horrible things. Uh, does that invalidate, you know, the teachings of Christ? And I would say, no, you have to make a clear separation. Just as I would make the separation that... Uh, uh, the uh, you know a, a, an atheist or, or a humanist like uh, Mao who slaughtered you know millions and millions of people or Stalin another atheist mm -hmm. uh, millions and millions of people uh, or, or Hitler who was essentially an occultist and, and although he's held <laughs> up as a as a Christian he you know he mentioned uh, a Christ several times but he right. was an occultist but again the, killing millions of people yeah. that, he, they hardly can be be be, be uh, uh, used as an example of, you know, a, a, as a humanist or an atheist. I would, I would never make that no. assertion. They were idiots. I mean, clear in a way, they, you know, they were idiots, and they didn't kill in the name of their atheism. You know, they didn't fly a big red A, you know, and, and kill in the name of non-belief. They were just bad people, really, really bad people, regardless of whether or not they were secular or atheist or humanist. They were just bad people, and any atheist would agree with that. All right. We're uh, speaking with... Christopher DiCarlo, here on The Conspiracy Show. The plot against Christianity? Against Christmas? Much more to discuss. Stay with us. AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. 
Trapper Falls, Alaska, Christmas is the biggest celebration of the year, but that's all about to change. Someone new moving into town? Mitch Bright stopped by town today. High school Mitch Bright? You had a high school rival? Why would he come back here after so many years? What's he after? A formal complaint has been filed about the town Christmas decorations. Who filed this complaint? The Grinch? Mitch Bright. So I do have a problem with Christmas. And all the rest of the garbage you Christians have been jamming down my throat since I was a kid. Mitch Bright has a personal vendetta against me. You can't have a religious display on the site. We are not going to cave in. We spent less time worrying about our rights and more time worrying about others' needs. I think we might actually be doing Christmas. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And that was a clip from a movie entitled Christmas with a Capital C, which was uh, written by uh, Andrea Nasfell and directed by Helmut Schleppi. And it's, uh, well, it's addressing this war on Christmas we're talking about tonight and one man's drive to, to fight back. And uh, it's interesting, you know, that that uh, that, that sentiment is finally sort of percolated to the surface because I hear anecdotally about this sort of thing going on, on all the time. In fact, recently, again, we go back to New York City. I believe it's the St. Petersburg Ferry Terminal. And uh, one of the, uh, the, uh, the uh, employees there had put up a nativity scene and it was removed, although there was a, uh, a Hanukkah uh, a candle mm-hmm. that was uh, there in the, uh, the terminal. And it was later taken down, but only because Hanukkah was over, yet the nativity scene was removed. And we see this time and time again. Uh, we're here with uh, Dr. Christopher DiCarlo, a philosopher uh, and uh, prominent atheist thinker. Let me go back to, to Christmas again, since we just heard from uh, that, that, that uh, trailer. How do you feel about uh, public displays of, uh, of uh, religious Christian uh, icons or uh, nativity scenes, for example? Should mm-hmm. they be allowed? Sure, depending on, on where, of course, but yeah, I mean, in the front of a church, somebody's house, if they happen to be Christian, why not? Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. What about in front of City Hall? I guess if, if they're going to do something like that, then you pretty much have to open it up for everyone. So if uh, they're allowed to do that, then I guess uh, other uh, faiths should be allowed during their specific times of celebration to be able to do Similar types of things as well, but the exact opposite seems to be happen, mm-hmm. uh, happening. The uh, it does seem to be open to other re- religious uh, icons and symbols. Yet, no nativity scenes. Well, I mean that's what's leading a lot of people to think that there is this this war on on Christmas <laughs> or a plot against Christmas. Right, right. I'm not sure what to to think about that. I do know my my good friend uh, Margaret Downey in Philadelphia is having a heck of a hard time being allowed to have their secular tree um, in the outskirts of Philadelphia, which is they decorate a tree with the uh, cover of books, various books that they appreciate, you know, throughout history and that sort of thing, you know, the origin of species and that kind of thing. It's a secular tree, and they're having great difficulty with city council being allowed to do that, yet the nativity scene in Philadelphia is allowed. So I guess, you know, it depends where we look you know who's who's being oppressed and who who isn't a secular tree a with secular tree. with books uh, Darwin's uh, origin of the species oh, among but obviously among a, other a, that's designed to be a shot against the bow uh, across the bow wouldn't you agree no i think a it's, secular tree at christmas with with depictions of darwin's origin of the species 
Well, I suppose if they they could have chosen uh, another another time and, an, and another date, but they didn't. Uh, I guess just because it's the most visual time of the year for the celebration of you know the particular type of um, um, religious celebration. So I guess you just don't see it as much by the other religions as you do uh, by Christians. It's a, it's always been a very visual thing since I was a kid, and it was just considered normal. You know, it was just the you know you would see it everywhere in people's front yards and so on and so forth. Never had a second thought about it. I suppose it's become targeted simply because it's it's an act an, an expression of fairness which is if one denomination or one religion or one faith is allowed to express themselves in this particular way it either has to be open for others as well or none of them can be expressed so we'll have to decide if it's fair for one and it should be fair for others who wish to do that sort of thing and that's why I think uh, Margaret Downey chose the, the Christmas time to have this secular tree. Do you think the world would be a better place without organized religion? Do I think it would be a better place without organized religion? I've been asked this question time and time and time again. And it really comes down to the middlemen in religion. There are concepts in most world religions that are going to be valuable intrinsically. If we look at Christianity, you have the overriding concept of love, uh, charity, and forgiveness. Tolerance. Tolerance. Um, we might not be having this discussion, you and I, uh, Christopher, were it not for the Judeo-Christian foundations of this country. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, religion has done uh, good things. Many world religions have done good things. The problem is uh, weeding out the harm amongst the good. So when there are charitable organizations that are religious and they go to third world nations and they dig a well or they build a school and so on and so forth and they help people, to me that's wonderful in and of itself. But if it's done as a type of metaphysical blackmail where look what we've done, you know who made this possible? This, you know, this guy we're going to tell you about. And so they're, they're getting a better life if they start to agree amongst the worldview of those who are helping them, then I do have a bit of a problem with it. If they're just doing it for the sake of helping others, great. No proselytizing, no trying to convert the masses and so on and so forth, then I don't have a problem with it. Metaphysical blackmailing. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty strong term. It I happens. Mean, you have to admit, it does happen. Well, proselytizing, is, is, uh, it can be a nuisance at times if you're not, uh, if you're not open to the mm -hmm. message, but I, I don't know that I would use the term uh, uh, metaphysical blackmailing. Now, oh, yeah. Christopher Hitchens has, has gone on record as saying that the indoctrination of children into mm -hmm. a religion, I mean, he considers that to be child abuse. Would you go that far? In some cases, yes. Like, really? When I see Jesus Camp and I see what, what goes on at these various camps and how kids are indoctrinated and they're crying a lot because you know they're being threatened and they're you know they're they're sinners and unless they act in a particular way they're gonna have this horrible fate and burn forever and for all time it was yeah to me that is psychological abuse and that's the kind of indoctrination that I think that's where my level of tolerance and the level of harm intersect and that's when I say Hitchens and others, including yourself, would say, hang on here. You're scaring these kids. You know, if the concepts of Christianity are indeed love, you know, compassion, charity, and forgiveness, 
wonderful concepts in and of themselves, just work on those. You know, try to keep, you know, the wrath and the hellfire and the brimstone and all that kind of stuff, you know, which is, is psychologically abusing kids for another time, if, you know, when they can handle it, when they're a little more mature and so on and so forth. But interspersed with that, I would love to see in public schools as well as other schools, just world religion courses being taught so that students can be aware of the many different types of faiths that are out there, not just Christian, but all of them, including humanism and then even atheism, and basically to educate them about what's going on in the world outside of their bubble. Then they can decide. They can, you know, they'll become mature. We teach them reason, ethics, and that sort of thing. And then they decide. They think, you know, um, this particular faith kind of speaks to me or it doesn't speak to me. And, and then we marry into that this kind of tolerance-harm concept where it's fine to believe in all sorts of things, and it's fine to act in accordance with those various beliefs. But the moment you start to generate harm, we have a right as a society to say, no, 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 hang on, hang on here. You've, got, you've kind of stepped over the line. So you and I seem to be fairly tolerant, well-educated, you know, well relatively mild-mannered you know, people. But we would probably also both agree that when we perceive harm being caused by any ideology we have the right to speak up. Would you, would you say that's a, a societal right? Well, I, yes, except I think we have to make the distinction. Again, the, the harm being promoted by certain individuals as opposed to the actual teachings of, of Christ, for example. But who's right? You, your interpretation? His? The Pope's? Uh, Council Ned? Who, who's right? Show me your reality measuring stick, and then show me that your views measure up 100%. And I'll convert right now. But here's the problem. As a, as a, as a humanist or an atheist, mm -hmm. you are essentially a materialist. Okay? There is matter. Yes. Okay? There is no, there is no spirit realm. There is, there, there is matter. So yes. how is... I mean, where do, does a materialist mm -hmm. derive his morals, his values? Mm -hmm. uh, for example, let's take a look at the, the, the notion of human dignity. Okay. As a materialist... How is this matter that you see sitting before you, this lump, mm -hmm. uh, differentiated between, you know, uh, or aside from the matter of, let's say, a clump of broccoli? Right. So where, wherein then lies human dignity? If, if my matter, uh, this matter here is no different than, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, some broccoli or, or, a, uh, or, or a rat or, or mm -hmm. a rock, mm -hmm. how does a materialist arrive at the notion of human dignity? Well, broccoli has no nervous system. Um, I can't speak on behalf of all plant life. The jury with me is still out in terms of to what degree plants can respond to sensations of pain or anything like that. I tend to treat all of life with a level of respect. Um, if there's a fly buzzing around my house, as my son will... will uh, confirm. Um, I'll catch it and take it outside and throw it outside. If I come home and there's a thousand flies in my house, I'm going on a killing spree because essentially I don't think I'll be able to get them all out and the house is overrun by them. Same with rats, same with other types of things that are going to, to harm me. Now, with a human, it basically comes down to the golden rule and the no harm principle, which essentially means we want to be treated in like ways, and we don't want to 
be harmed unnecessarily. If you have gangrene in your leg, it's probably better to amputate because you're going to get to live. Unfortunately, you're going to lose the leg. So there's going to be harm always. But we can choose between types of harm that will actually generate the greater good. And we can act according to the golden rule and this no harm principle. So I don't have to be a dualist. I don't see any spirit dwelling within you. I just see you. And I can treat you with the same respect as I do all humans on this planet, regardless of where they've come from and, and who they are. You have the same amount of respect from me as anyone else. All right. Dr. Christopher DiCarlo here. Defending, defending the, uh, the atheists and the humanists, and I guess for the purpose of this program, I'm the, uh, the standard bearer for Christianity, and uh, we're discussing the war, the perceived war against Christianity and Christmas. Back with more in a moment here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Where there's smoke... There's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Dr. Christopher DiCarlo is with us, a philosopher of science, prominent atheist thinker, as we discuss the war on Christianity and uh, Christmas. We often associate atheists and humanists with the left wing. Is that, a, is that fair? Is that a fair generalization? Um, you'll probably see more atheists on the left, uh, left of center, uh, than, than right wing. Um, if they're good skeptics, they're going to somehow be right in the, right in the middle. Um, personally, my political views are basically, I just like good ideas and I don't care who comes up with them. So I, I guess I'd be an independent, but I, I'm not a big fan of party politics at all. I think we could run the country a lot better with just people who had good ideas and, and thought about what's best for the polis. The, uh, the theory that um, atheism was sort of a concept that uh, well, there was a plot. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, group of these secret elites known as the Illuminati, they got together with the, uh, well, they wanted to unite the nihilists and the atheists, and they came up with communism, which mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily just an ideology. It was, in fact, uh, sort of a weapon. It was this, uh, you know, this bogeyman that uh, that could be uh, summoned up to uh, to foment war and rebellions and so forth. Uh, what are your thoughts on on uh, the idea that 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 atheism, in, in fact, has been sort of cultivated as a, as a, not necessarily, you know, you know, you you're mm -hmm. personally, but uh, there is there is this element in society uh, that is, in fact conspiring against organized religion to undermine society. Let's face it, uh, religion is a pretty effective organizing uh, uh, influence on mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, let's leave the, uh, uh, the, uh, the existence of a supreme creator out of this for a moment. Mm -hmm. But just as an organizing principle, as a controlling mechanism, if you will, mm -hmm. pretty effective. Very effective, and if, has been historically. If you were a subversive yeah. and you wanted to undermine a society, mm -hmm. S sowing those seeds of d doubt and, and undermining organized religion would be a pretty good way of starting. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I suppose it would. Um, I don't have any 
personal experience with getting together and starting the Re- revolution, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, I think the, the, the idea behind atheism and humanism is, is really about fairness. And the idea is that we want people to be able to uh, enjoy and even celebrate in their differing views and whatnot, um, provided that not one particular group is favored over another particular group. So it, it might seem like that, and I'm, I'm sure it can, if, especially if you're deeply entrenched within a particular uh, religious group, to wonder, what are th- what's their problem? I mean, I remember talking to people saying, so you don't believe. So what do you do when you get together? You just don't, be- don't believe together, you know? But it's much more than that, of course. We celebrate uh, fundamental values that are good for all humans, regardless of whatever their religious or ideological concepts happen to be. And you have to admit, religion, one of the hallmarks of, of religion is um, the idea of community, the idea of like-minded people getting together, enjoying each other's company, sharing similar views about the world and, and everything else, and and hopefully not generating harm by you know, getting together. Atheists are the, are the same. I mean, I belong to SoFree, the Society for Ontario Free Thinkers. I'm a member of Humanist Canada, and I'm a advisory board member for the Center for Inquiry Canada. And these are all humanist atheist groups, and we don't meet secretly or otherwise. We welcome anybody uh, to come to the meetings. And there, we, we generate alternative views, alternative worldviews. Uh, for example, one for treating alcoholism where you don't have to go to AA and admit that this is beyond your control, that there's some force and whatnot. It's a much more secularized. If you're going to beat alcohol, suck it up. You're going to have to do it yourself. Whether you believe in a, in a divine being or whatnot is, is another thing, but you've got to get through this you know, on your own first. And so they offer secular ways of treating similar problems and society ailments than that religions do. I mentioned uh, Christopher Hitchens uh, earlier Mm -hmm. and uh, his notion that uh, religious indoctrination of children is tantamount to to child abuse. And now you mentioned the the, the Jesus camps, and Mm -hmm. and I think he was being a little more general than than you were. I think you were were citing a pretty extreme example where, you know, children were, uh, uh, you know, presented with a specter of... uh, uh, burning in hell uh, for you know for eternity and so forth, which is yeah I would agree pretty traumatic for a, mm. for, a, for a young mind. But Hitchens I think was being far more more general in in, in his condemnation. But let me ask you the, sort of the flip side: the indoctrination of children mm-hmm. with the notion that well, where did they come from? We emerged out of this this uh, chemical pool, primordial soup, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when we die, mm-hmm. that's the end. It's the worm buffet. Mm-hmm. Now talk about a bleak sort of outlook. Uh, no, no eternal life. Uh, almost no purpose. I mean, I would think that that could do a serious psychological number on a, on a, on a, <laughs> uh, a developing mind. Don't you think so? I, I think so. You have my son Jeremy right behind me. And I remember talking to him as he was, I was reading to him, you know, at bedtime and I remember him saying, so what happens to us after we die? You know, and he's six years old, seven years old. And I'm thinking, well, what do you think happens? And he says, I, I don't know. I said, yeah, I don't, I don't know either. And then he said, what would you like to happen? 
And I said, oh, that's a different question. To hang out with you guys forever. Who wouldn't want that? So it's, it's not as though atheists want to warp the minds and torment the minds of, of young people. It's just... It's an unintended consequence, though. It can be, but it's also done with compassion, and it's done with a sense of understanding and reason to consider that if life does end at death, doesn't that make this life all the more important? And doesn't it make us want to get along that much better and more efficiently? So none of us here in this room knows what's going to happen after we die, for sure, with 100% accuracy. Um, I just think it'll be similar to, say, 50 years before you were born. Do you remember what that was like? Just like that. Nothingness. Nothingness, which in and of itself, as Socrates said 2,400 years ago, why do we think it's a bad thing? We're not going to be around to bemoan the fact that we're not here. We are gone forever and for all time. Wouldn't that then make this life all the more important and all the more valuable and make us want to make things better, certainly for each other, because we're all equal, we're all the same? Well, or as, as a materialist, as, uh, as I believe it was Aldous Huxley uh, mm -hmm. who said, I, I, I suddenly felt this incredible liberty and freedom. There were no consequences to my actions. I was sexually liberated. He became a sensualist. He, he, wanted, he had this lust for life, uh, mm -hmm. but he, I mean, he took it to the extreme. That's also a danger. Wouldn't you uh, agree? It could be, but then again, if we put in the, the, you know, the notion of the golden rule and the no harm principle, he would have to, as anybody else would, have to act within those confines. You can't just start juggling kittens and eating babies simply because you think, well, that's it forever and for all time. But for, for a Christian, the golden rule, there is a consequence. Uh, there, because of the concept mm -hmm. of an afterlife, mm -hmm. I mean, there is, the, you know, the, the, the cosmic court will be in session. Oh, therein for, lies the problem, I, for the, I think. For the, <laughs> but for the materialist, mm -hmm. uh, if you don't subscribe to the golden rule, so what? Well, then we have secular laws to take care of those people. Right, so I'm not saying, hey, let's open up. Uh, the there, there aren't, there aren't secular, secular laws about being a, a cad or necessarily being disrespectful or or uh, or harboring uh, hate or uh, uh, being uh, you know uncompassionate or uh, not being charitable. Mm -hmm. There are there are hate crimes, but um, and hate laws. But let's face it: if you're going to be a cad based on your realization that there's no universal principles out there or whatnot, then you're like Mao, you're like Stalin, you're like Hitler, you're, you're an idiot. So you're not going to get along well, you're not going to be accepted well, because life is generally a tit-for-tat, it's a quid pro quo. It's, you know, I'm going to get along with you, you stab me in the back, I might remember that next time. And I'm going to keep my distance from you, and I'm not going to get fooled again. So... I, I think there are ways in which we can generate good systems of morality without an eternal measure of reward and punishment. And it will make this life seem all the more important. Is there evil? We'll find out when we come back. Dr. Dr. Christopher DiCarlo is with us here on The Conspiracy Show, The War Against Christians and Christianity. Back with more on AM740.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And there will be a live show. There will be a, a, a program, rather, uh, December 26th, Sunday, December the 26th. Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be along to discuss her major encyclopedic work on the saints. And uh, we'll also talk with Dr. Jerome Corsi, uh, who will uh, bring us up to speed on further developments in the march towards, as he sees it, the North American Union and uh, the uh, dissolution of the, uh, the borders between Canada, the United States, and the United States and Mexico. That's Sunday, December the 26th on The Conspiracy Show. Right now we're talking about uh, the, uh, the perceived uh, war or conspiracy, if you will, against Christianity. And uh, here in studio, acquitting himself quite nicely, is Dr. Christopher DiCarlo, who is also the Senior Advisory Fellow with the Center for Inquiry. He has a new book out uh, entitled How to Become a Really Good Pain in the Ass, A Critical Thinker's Guide to Asking the Right Questions. And we're getting a glimpse into that tonight. (laughs) And this is published by Prometheus uh, Books, and uh, Mm -hmm. the publication date is uh, when? July 2011. July 2011. Again, that's How to Become a Really Good Pain in the Ass, A Critical Thinker's Guide to Asking the Right Questions. Do you have a concept of of good and evil as a humanist? Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm, I'm giving a talk. Hey, let's plug away. <laughs> I'm giving a talk in Oshawa um, February 3rd, downtown Oshawa in some theater there. And the title of the talk is um, the, new, the New Ethics, a Synthetic uh, Understanding of Good and Evil. And I gave this talk out in California, California with um, Dawkins and Harris and, and others and whatnot. And it basically looks at a way in which we have to try to understand why people act in a particular way. So, um, do you remember Vince Lee, the gentleman who uh, stabbed and decapitated and cannibalized uh, that gentleman in um, Manitoba? He, on, the, on the Greyhound bus. On the Greyhound yes, bus. Yes, I remember that. Horrific. Well, horrific, Absolutely. And uh, basically, he was uh, not sentenced with first-degree murder. In fact, he was uh, basically uh, sent uh, away to uh, a mental institution, and he could be out in in as little time as, say, 10 years. And um, uh, the deceased parents are, of course, upset by this because they see Vince Lee as being evil. This guy's evil. And uh, he he needs more severe punishment, which is a, a normal human reaction when anything horrific happens to those we care uh, dearly about. So I understand their reaction. But I don't see evil in Vince Lee. I see schizophrenia, and I see a man who acted apparently because God told him um, that the gentleman sitting beside him was the devil. And he, as such, he had the power to um, come back to life. So that's why he started to cannibalize him. And when you look at a person who's that... Uh, mentally disturbed, wherein lies the evil? Uh, Personally, I just don't see him as being morally responsible or accountable, or even legally so. Yes, we have to take these people, we have to take them out of society, we can't have them harming others, we can't tolerate that type of harm. But now, how how should we treat him? Like, what what will the future of 
uh, rehabilitation in terms of crime be? And, and, and in this talk, I'm very much convinced that we have to look at a number of causal factors in order to understand the circumstances and context in which a particular person acted in a particular way. And when we understand the context better, we're going to have to almost legally uh, particularize our sentencing procedure, the way in which we deal with trying to rehabilitate them and so on and so forth. Because each person is going to be kind of unique in the way in which their mental capacities, their genetic capacities, the way they were raised, and so on and so forth. So it, the law, is, I think, in the future is going to become very specialized. All right. Yes. I mean, there, there, we were aware that there is you know, such a thing as schizophrenia, there is mental illness. But mm-hmm. is there evil in the world? Is there anything that you would categorize and say, that is evil? If a, a military junta in, in some uh, impoverished African nation is deliberately... Uh, denying its citizens uh, access to fresh water or, or medicine. Uh, is that evil? The, what is the reason behind their doing that? Like, what, what is the motivation? Why, why do they wish to be cruel to others? To me, one, once we start to, to scratch a little at what's going on, there, there's going to be some type of ideology. And humans, for a very, very long time, at least since we speciated 200,000 years ago, are very much about in-group and out-group referencing. And once you're in an in-group, you can perceive the others as being somehow against you simply because they don't behave the way your group does. Did you ever read the Dr. Zeus book, the Butter Battle book? Sure, yeah. The Zooks and the Yucks, right? Yes. One group butters their bread on the top and the other on the bottom. And that little insignificant, you know, relevant point is enough for them to hate each other. So in terms of you know, the Congo and other places like that where these atrocities are happening, I need to know what the motivating context is behind that kind of hatred and that kind of cruelty. Is it wrong? Yes. Uh, should they do it? No. Um, is it evil? I don't, I don't personify evil. I just see it as being something of an emergent property out of the, the level of control at which a person could behave. So let's say tonight you, uh, you, you, you trip on the way home and you, and you bang your head and you don't think much of it. But what, actu- what actually happens is it's damaged a part of your brain that regulates the flow of serotonin in your brain. And so over a period of a week or two, two weeks or whatnot, your personality starts to change a little bit. You start to see things a little bit differently. How much control do you have now over your decisions because there's this kind of physiological substrate beneath your actions, beneath your views. Had you not tripped and not hit your head, you might still be behaving as a, as a good Christian, you, you know, for the rest of your life. But so how much control do you exercise or can any of us exercise based on the physiological, psychological characteristics we have? It's, very, it's going to be a very interesting world in the next 50 years. The more science finds out about motivation, control, behavioral patterns, all these influences. Well, sure. I I mean, a a materialist is always looking for that equation. Uh, 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 I mean, we are more than just carriers of of DNA. I mean, how does a a humanist Mm -hmm. look at love? I mean, do, do you reduce that to some sort of a chemical interaction? Pretty much, um... I mean, I, I've taught courses on, on love, sex, and friendship. 
I don't, I mean, love is an amazing uh, human capacity, um, as is compassion and uh, charity. And there are varieties of love. As Dr. Hibbert says in, you know, The Simpsons, is that the love a man has for a woman or the love of a fine cigar. There are many ways in which we love things. I love my son differently from the way I love my wife. and Just a different chemical? Um, yeah, because if I hit my head and my limbic system and the amygdala is damaged in some way, I might see my son entirely different, entirely differently. In fact, you know, I'm kind of low-spectrum Asperger's. I, you know, I tend to be very functional. And if there's an issue or a problem... I tend to be very rational about it, and my wife often is very much more emotional, and she'll say, you kind of work too quickly through that problem. You didn't take that person's feelings into account. And I said, no, I never even thought of that. You wanted a, a resolution to the problem. I gave it to you as quickly as possible. So not that I'm not emotional. I am, and never more so than when I had, we had kids. But love may just be reducible to chemical actions within the brain. And why is that a bad thing? Why would that be a bad thing? I don't think I want to live in a world where everything can be reduced to a chemical reaction. But why not? Wouldn't, Wouldn't it be reduced in God's mind? Wouldn't God know all the formulas for every action and emotion you had? He would, because he's omniscient. So how is it any different? We just get God out of the equation. It's not, it, doesn't make, it doesn't cheapen it. It's still an amazing thing, and it makes people do incredible stuff. It is. You're right about that. It it, uh, it is still an amazing thing. I guess I, I don't. I can't see myself living in a universe without God. And well, when we come back, I want to talk about uh, the idea that can a humanist or materialist can he value, for example, inalienable rights the same way that someone who believes in a uh, a creator does? Mm-hmm. Can we trust a humanist? in the White House or at 24 Sussex Drive when The Conspiracy Show continues here on AM740. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Just a few moments remain in the program. Dr. Dr. Christopher DiCarlo... (laughs) is uh, with us. We're discussing the conspiracy or the war against Christianity. His uh, new book is How to Become a Really Good Pain in the Ass, A Critical Thinker's Guide to Asking the Right Questions. That'll be published July 2011. Do I really want to be promoting this man's work? That's the question. <laughs> if you believe in fairness, you do. Yes, and I do. And we're having a, we're having a, a civil, uh, respectful uh, discussion here. Mm-hmm. Um, just, we don't have a lot of time here, but here's the thing. As someone who believes in a creator... And a creator is the one who uh, brings into being these inalienable rights. Mm-hmm. Do I want to leave those inalienable rights in the charge of a materialist? Where does a materialist or a humanist derive those inalienable rights from? If a, if a, mm-hmm. if a, if a, if a law is man-made, mm-hmm. it can be taken away. But if it's inalien- inalienable, it, can, it cannot in, in, my, in my mind. I see. Okay. Um, let's define the rights first. So, life, liberty, security of the person? Yes. Okay. I can agree with those uh, from a secular point of view. I don't need any kind of uh, creator to have uh, 
you know, given those to anybody. The founding fathers of America thought they were self-evident. I don't know if they're self-evident. What I do know is that based on a biological understanding of our species as a homo sapiens, um, when you were born into this world as a human, unlike uh, spiders or fish or other types of, of beings and whatnot, uh, we require an enormous amount of care for a long time. We could never survive on our own as infants if we were not cared for in some way. So I see that then as being, yep, you're born into this world, yeah, you have a right to exist. And which means, and it's funny, a lot of people, when we talk about rights, they have no idea what a right is. 95% of my classes, when I say, okay, what's a right? They'll just give me examples. You have a right to this, a right to assembly, a right to free speech, and so on and so forth. And I'll say, but what does it mean to have a right? And a lot of people don't realize that there are two types, positive and negative. And a negative right means that others have a duty not to interfere with your doing X, whatever that is. So if you're enjoying a particular uh, beverage, say coffee, you would have a negative right to that, which means I can't come along and knock it out of your hand. I have a duty not to interfere with your enjoying a coffee. But we wouldn't say you have a positive right to a coffee. I don't have to hold the cup up to your mouth and whatnot, unless you were, you were, say, a quadriplegic or whatnot. Then you get that right. But you're physically capable and whatnot, so you get a negative right. A positive right means others have a duty of assistance. They have to help you in a particular way. And we can see that in various ways. Children, as they're born, have both negative and positive rights. You can't interfere with their life. You can't make their life worse off. And you have to assist. You've got to make it better by nurturing, caring, feeding, sheltering, and all that kind of thing. So life, absolutely. Liberty, the concept of freedom, I mean... Slavery's been around for a very long time. And the reason why we have problems with the idea of slavery... Until some Christians got together and abolished it. Well, some Christians... Or moved towards... Christians got together as, as well. And you know, the first humanists were Christians, right? The first humanists were actually Christian as well. So basically, and Darwin as well was right. an abolitionist, right. as were the... Uh, um, his... his uh, uh, Emma Wedgworth and, and their whole family, they were all abolitionists. They all believe we're brethren and that sort of thing. So l to me, liberty is just something that you are born into this world and it just seems that it follows along the golden rule. Do I wish to be enslaved? No. Then do I have the right to enslave others? No. So it's, it's golden rule and no harm principle time again. Uh, security of the person, do we want to go that or pursuit of happiness? Do you want to go the American or the Canadian version with inalienable rights. Uh, I'd, I'd like to do, I'd, I'd like to go right down the entire uh, entire list, but unfortunately okay. I think uh, we're out of time. Mm. Uh, we'll have to pick this up on another occasion, but it's uh, okay. uh, been very uh, instructive and insightful, and uh, I thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Dr. Christopher DiCarlo's new book, How to Become a Really Good Pain in the Ass, A Critical Thinker's Guide to Asking the Right Questions, available July 2011 from Prometheus Books. And uh, my thanks uh, to Dr. DiCarlo, also Nelson Thal, media scientist, and uh, Ron Craig and Jalal Murray for coming in earlier to make the big announcement that The Conspiracy Show is coming to television, Vision TV, Friday, February the 18th at 11 p.m. We're real excited about that. Hope you are as well. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.